Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. That is right, friends. It is time. We are back. It is Friday. Or not, because you can listen to this whenever you want and not on the day it's released. But if this is the day it's released, then it is Friday. And that means it is time for another episode of the Rasafari Podcast Zoo News. Yay! So, as always, I'm going to remind you that this is a crowdsourced news thing. What's this thing called? Podcast. It's a podcast. And um, the way that works is if you see a zoo, aquarium, animal, conservation, whatever story that you think might make sense for this show, you can go ahead and send it to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or tag me in it, at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or at rossafaripod on TikTok. And then I'll share it on here. I also do my own research, of course. I'm not totally lazy. But if you contribute, you'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode. And if you don't believe me, well, stay tuned to the end of the episode and you'll find out that I ain't lying. Although I might end up talking about a lion. I don't actually think I talk about a lion in this episode. Meh, maybe. Anyway, y'all, I'm going to start off, as I often do, by giving you a little personal news. In this case, by the time you are listening to this... I will be well on my way to California. I will be playing Million Dollar Quartet at La Mirada Theater in La Mirada, California for the next month or so. And like the crazy person I am, I decided that I'm driving there. That's right, y'all. I am recording this episode on Monday night. And on Tuesday morning, I will be hopping in my car and making my way across the entire country. Now, y'all, I have some plans, which, you know, things might change. There's a lot of weather going on right now and stuff, but I am planning on leaving here and visiting the Akron Zoo, Cincinnati Zoo, St. Louis Zoo, St. Louis Aquarium, Tulsa Zoo, Oklahoma Aquarium, Oklahoma City Zoo, Albuquerque's ABQ Biopark, and the Phoenix Zoo before arriving to my gig. Maybe. We'll see life happens. But I've got some plans. I've got a couple interviews already lined up and I'm working on trying to get some more. And I'm hoping that this road trip is going to lead to some real awesomeness for the pod. And then you know I'm going to try to get some cool interviews when I'm out in California. No promises. Still got to reach out to a bunch of places. But I've already heard from one person who I am incredibly excited to connect with and share with y'all. So, uh, Get ready, because this is going to be an awesome couple months of the pod. But okay, that's enough about me. We know what you want to get to. You want to get to Zoo News. Well, too bad. Here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. 
Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. Okay, okay, okay. Now we can actually get to it. Come on, let's do some zoo news. One, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Or a binturong. It's zoo news, yeah. All right, so despite the peppiness of that intro song, we're going to start off, as we have been lately, with a couple of sadder stories. Don't worry, this is nothing like last week, but um, we do have a few, and it's going to start off with a discussion about, you guessed it, COVID, because another animal has lost its life to the disease in the zoo population. Rilu was a 11-year-old snow leopard who has died at Miller Park Zoo after struggling with COVID-induced pneumonia. Rilu was one of the most popular animals at the zoo and was beloved by keepers and fans alike. You all know the story by now. The, the thing that really gets my attention about this is that, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I have been reporting on these animal deaths whenever I hear about them, and... um. Y'all, it seems like snow leopards are especially hard hit by COVID. Now, I recently had somebody share a theory with me, and um, this was done in confidence. They did not want their name out there or anything. And again, it's just a theory, but I found it interesting. Um, But basically, they suggest that snow leopards may be more susceptible to COVID because of how they're built. They have wide, short nasal cavities, and uh, those cavities are actually designed um, to warm the air before it reaches their lungs because, you know, snow leopards, cold. And the wider width of the nostrils uh, enables them to breathe in a larger viral load, and the short nasal cavity makes it easier for the particles to get into their lungs quicker, making the symptoms more severe. Uh, again, this is this is not at all a proven thing, but... um. Makes sense to this guy, and I mean, I'm a professional drummer, so I should know. Anyway, sending condolences to everyone at Miller Park Zoo for the loss of their beautiful snow leopard. And we also have to send our condolences this week to the great family up at Southwick's Zoo. Now, y'all know Southwick's has been on the pod a bunch, and I love me a whole lot of people up at Southwick's. Um, and this week, they had to say goodbye to Jingles, their senior chimpanzee. Uh, Jingles uh, passed away, surrounded by her troop and the people who loved her. And um, she was the favorite chimp amongst most of the keepers at the zoo. Um, they all just really loved Jingles and and who, who she was. Um, she was able to spot keepers and people she knew in crowds and would blow them kisses and express love. It's, it's really adorable. Now, Jingles lived to be 52, uh, which is over a decade longer than the um, average chimpanzee lifespan. So like... You know, this isn't a loss in terms of um, 
a young animal or anything, but still, it's always really, really sad to see a beloved animal go. So uh, I just hope that everyone up at Southwick's knows that the Rossafari family is uh, sending love and condolences at this time. On a lighter note, a tortoise has been going on road trips lately. That's exciting, right? Uh, Al, an 85-year-old Aldabra tortoise who lives at Binder Park Zoo, has started taking road trips because he has an infection in his front left foot, which has been there since 2018. Now, okay, I know, it's 2022, and you might be wondering what the heck is going on at Binder Park Zoo to allow an animal to have an infection for four years. But the truth is, tortoises truly do do everything slowly, including healing. So the original bone infection uh, seems to have been resolved, but uh, Al has been experiencing minor intermittent flare-ups that need monitoring. And uh, he also has an infection in his toenail that they wanted to keep an eye on. So the vet staff put him in a car and took him to the MSU College of Veterinary Medicine and Veterinary Medical Center. The idea was to go and get a CT exam to evaluate the foot more closely, and it seems like the bone infection is reoccurring. They wouldn't have even known that if they weren't able to get to this special, really cool equipment to uh, do do the CT scan. Because they were able to find it, they should be able to fix it again, or more permanently fix it maybe is a better way to put that. Uh, But it's going to mean more trips to both that area and possibly to Brookfield Zoo, where they also have some specialty equipment. And uh, for the record, y'all, this is interesting because Al is 600 pounds of tortoise. So in order to do this, they not only have to take the animal, but they have to use an equine hoist and equine table and a lot of teammates to make sure that uh, he gets where he needs to go, that he's okay, and that he doesn't uh, slowly crawl off of said table. This is a journey. And I think it's just such an adorable illustration of the hard work that zoo vets do. It's an amazing population, and I love I love this story. I just love picturing Al in a hoist, slowly glancing down at his infected toenail, big tortoise sigh, and then just kind of wanting to look for lettuce. Love it. Anyway, I, I just, yeah, wanted to share this with y'all. And Binder Park Zoo, it sounds like y'all are doing an incredible job. Keep it up. Next up is just a quick little story out of San Diego, where the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance had a float in the annual Rose Parade on New Year's Day for the first time in 25 years. The float was called Creating Wildlife Allies, and it illustrated the interconnection between wildlife, people, and ecosystems. The float featured three species that are key to the history of the San Diego Zoo, which are a lion, a rhinoceros, and a California condor. Oh, hey, look, I did, I did have a, a lion story in here. Yay! Anyway, the lion, that just made me say, yay, represents the founding of the San Diego Zoo, as well as the future of their work with lions in the Savannah Conservation Hub. The rhino represents the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and the work that's being done at the Nikita Khan Rhino Rescue Center. And the condor highlights the groundbreaking work done to save that species. And if you don't know that story, then uh, you really should Google that. It's amazing. Or listen to like half of the episodes of the podcast where I tend to talk about it. 
Anyway, there were other parts of the float that weren't animal, like human and like water and earth and stuff. But like, whatever, we're here to talk about the animals. It was a really beautiful float and uh, definitely worth checking out on YouTube or some of the pictures online. Zoo Atlanta recently announced the winners of the conservation programs protecting wildlife that have become the 2022 beneficiaries of the zoo's Mabel Dorn Reader Conservation Endowment Fund. The grants have been rewarded to the Coretta Research Project for Loggerhead Sea Turtles and will help their mission to reverse the decline in loggerhead sea turtle populations through population monitoring, data analysis, and initiatives to protect the nesting population in Georgia's Wasaw National Wildlife Refuge. The Red Panda Network, woo! Not that I'm not excited about the other one, but still. Um, in helping to establish a reforestation nursery for red pandas, which is something I am a fan of, obviously. Um, They're going to have the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, University of North Georgia, and Alachi Nature Center work together to evaluate the success of translocating native eastern box turtles threatened by commercial development in North Georgia, and also do some other stuff to help with that uh, population. The Goalaugo Triangle Ape Project, which is in northern Congo, and they're going to help with assessing the diversity of specific viral and bacterial pathogens known to affect gorillas and local human populations throughout West Africa. They're going to be working with the Green Project, protecting endangered drills through sustainable community agriculture in Cameroon. The Giant Armadillo Conservation Program, by trying to help save the last population of giant armadillos in the Atlantic Forest. And finally, but certainly not least, Wildlife Alliance's efforts to protect the clouded leopard population in southwestern Cambodia through the Veal Pie Ranger Station. And like, I know that was a lot of things. That was seven things. And I talked about all of them. But along with three of my favorite species, sea turtles, box turtles, and red pandas, I think all seven are so noteworthy. This is so cool that in a pandemic, when a lot of places are struggling, Zoo Atlanta continues to make an amazing conservation impact in a way that maybe you don't read about very often. Very cool, y'all. And that brings us to... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh, yeah! So, there is a bird species called Akikiki. Surprisingly, this is uh, in Hawaii. And uh, it is a form of honeycreeper bird. It's a really tiny bird about the size of a AAA battery. It is currently estimated that there is a wild population of about 50 Akikikis in the world. And yes, I'm doing this story because it's a great story, but I'm really having fun saying Akikiki. Hawaii currently has two populations of Akikiki, and one of those populations just a decade ago was doing really well. Um, These birds basically live at the highest elevations of the forests in Hawaii, and that keeps them safe from the mosquitoes that carry avian malaria and other deadly diseases. But as temperatures have been rising due to climate change, the mosquitoes have moved higher too and have now moved into the birds' territory and the birds have no way to escape. As such, this population has been absolutely decimated in just a decade. So when four wild akikiki were discovered, 
A team of six biologists went into the forest for over 10 days to try to save the four birds. The plan becomes to take the birds to the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's facility on a different island in Hawaii. And while the birds are there healing up from any ailments they may have, biologists will try to reclaim the birds' native forest home using a bacterium to act as mosquito birth control. In order to try to get the birds, the team that I mentioned before had to live in the wild battling heavy rain and strong winds as they used mist nets strung across a high ridge trying to capture the birds. While unsuccessful so far in capturing three of them, one chick did go into the nets and got carried down to the camp where they fed and cared for said bird. Then a helicopter went from Maui to the island they are on, which is, I think, pronounced Kauai, to pick up the bird. After a two-hour helicopter flight, it arrived and uh, was picked up, checked out, and then taken on a golf cart and car ride to get to the facility, the Maui Bird Conservation Center, to join 42 additional Akikikis that are living there right now. There, an entire team of scientists and experts in bird husbandry live to take care of these birds and others who are also in need. And if the rest of this bird's family can't be captured before the team has to leave, another team will be dispatched to try to catch them. Think about that. Think about all of the people and time and efforts and vehicles that are going into saving four birds. I love conservation stories. I love that the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is a part of this. I, I'm blown away by the dozens of people and hundreds of man hours and woman hours, you know, and um, just everything that's going into saving these tiny little birds. It's such a cool story. That is conservation, y'all. And speaking of conservation, one of the goals that we always have as conservationists is to find new ways to track biodiversity in non-invasive ways. A recent study of the air at some zoos suggests that we may have a new way to do just that. The study uses vacuum devices to capture samples of air from different parts of the zoos that it is done at, one of which was the Hammerton Zoo Park in the UK with the second one being the Copenhagen Zoo in Denmark. In the UK study, they were able to identify DNA from 25 different species of animals, including tigers, lemurs, and dingoes, 17 of which were known zoo species. The results in Copenhagen were even more impressive. In just 40 samples of air, they detected 49 species spanning mammals, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and fish. In the rainforest house, they were even able to detect the guppies in the pond, the two-toed sloth, and the boa that lives in the trees. Of course, not all the animals detected were from the zoo. They were also able to pick up dogs, cats, mice, rats, squirrels, hedgehogs, and water voles from the surrounding area, and even traces of fish, cows, and chickens that are fed to zoo animals. So, while the process clearly needs some refining, it's cool to know that this is something they can do and that might help us track biodiversity in non-invasive ways. And speaking of non-invasive studying of animals, it's time that Rossafari Zoo News goes to the dogs. 
Did you know that the Cheetah Conservation Fund, known as the CCF, uses dogs? Specifically, these dogs are trained to sniff for poop. Sniffing scat for science, you could say. And this helps with carnivore conservation. Um, it's, it's the same concept as training dogs to sniff for bombs or drugs or whatever. And the data you can get from poop is pretty impressive. Species identification, gender identification, insights on reproduction and health, and even the predator's diet, which is really important when evaluating human-wildlife conflict situations, can all be determined from poo. And if you get it from the poo, you don't have to, you know, dart the animal with anesthesia to take blood samples or whatever while it is out. A recent paper published by Dr. Laurie Marker at CCF showed that the dogs are way more effective and quicker at finding scat than human teams, camera traps, or humans and camera traps combined. It's also way cuter, though I don't think Dr. Marker mentioned that in the scientific paper she wrote, sadly. But to all the dogs currently working on scat detection for CCF, I just want to say... Yes, a good puppy. Yes, it is. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh, scratchy, scratchy, scratchy. And conservation dogs aren't just being used in cheetah conservation, but in New Zealand for kiwi conservation as well. The New Zealand Department of Conservation actually has an entire conservation dogs program, which this week announced the retirement of Rain, the conservation dog who has spent 11 years sniffing out kiwi to help save them from extinction. To be clear, these are kiwi the animal, not kiwi the fruit. And Rain has been a huge part of Operation Nest Egg, which has helped bring the Rowie kiwi population back from the brink of extinction. In the 11 years that Rain has been in the program, Rain found over 1,700 kiwi. And uh, that has helped the program grow the population from 160 to 600 birds in that time, and also led to the species being reclassified from critically endangered to nationally vulnerable in 2017. Rain, you're a very good girl. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You have a good retirement. Oh man, instead of a watch, I wonder if they got her a stick. And that brings us to... It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. Woo, finally a new song for other news. And it's new and it's exciting. And it's the one that you heard about in the Taylor Gray bonus episode. If you listened to that, we finally got it done. Yay. As a matter of fact, when Taylor was working on this today, he sent me um, the lyrics I had sent him a few months ago now and uh, asked if I wanted to make any changes to them before he recorded them. And um, I said, no, the lyrics are awesome. I'm a genius. I'm sure you all agree. In October 2020, Cronut the sea lion underwent an experimental procedure after his health deteriorated from epilepsy, uh, which, you know, is a neurological disorder that can cause seizures, and uh, is now okay and back to his normal self. Why? Well, Cronut got a transplant involving pig brain cells into his damaged hippocampus. 
Specifically, neuroscientist Scott Baraban at the University of California, San Francisco, worked with his team to place healthy pig neurons on the damaged parts of Cronut's hippocampus. From that point forward, Cronut had no more seizures, and Baraban said that Cronut's appetite and weight returned to normal a few months after the procedure. Basically, the epilepsy was cured by this procedure. Furthermore, it is believed that this procedure may work on humans. How amazing would it be if Cronut the sea lion cured epilepsy in humans? Okay, that was a stretch, but you know what I mean. And while we're on the topic of sea lions, a sea lion was recently rescued from the middle of a San Diego highway. Now, y'all, I have been driving down a highway and spotted a dog and stopped my car and stopped traffic and gone after it. And um, there was one time in Buffalo where, where Zoe and I uh, were involved in quite the dog hunt. And um, it actually worked out really well. We were able to retrieve the dog and get it into our car and, and find its owner and return it home. And it was amazing. But it took all these people stopping and cars helping and other people not giving a darn and zooming by and honking at us. And there were a couple of times I thought that pup was going to go. I can cannot imagine doing that with a sea lion. The sea lion was rescued by SeaWorld's rescue team, and they mentioned that this was not the first time they have saved this sea lion, saying that it has a track record of wandering into odd places, including the San Diego International Airport and the Navy base in Point Loma. Um, and those are both at least pretty close to the water, but the highway that this sea lion was found on was nowhere near the water. Now, look, I'm not saying that I hope I get the opportunity to rescue a sea lion from a highway while I'm out in Southern California, but I am saying that if there is a sea lion out in Southern California in traffic when I'm there and I'm driving by, you know it's in good hands. Now, y'all know that I have mentioned Turning Red before. This is the Pixar movie that's coming out uh, later this year in March. And um, it's about a girl who turns into a red panda. And I can't wait to see it because I like red pandas. But also, I think this might do a lot of good for red panda conservation because um, people learning about red pandas helps to save them. Well, it turns out that because crowds are not returning to theaters very much for family things, um, you know, stuff like Spider-Man is hitting a billion bucks again, but family films are not faring well. So Pixar is going to be releasing the movie directly onto Disney Plus when it is released. There will be no wait. It will be right available to you to watch in your homes the day it is released. While that's kind of sad news for the movie and Pixar in general, and um, my conversations with a friend who works at Pixar, uh, you know, led me to believe that they're not super happy about this, it's actually kind of good news for us, um, for the people who want to see it, and for the people who want to use it for Red Panda awareness and conservation. Because I will tell you that other movies that get released right on D+, such as Encanto, get huge audiences, and a lot of kids like to watch them on repeat. So, hopefully the movie is awesome, kids love it, they watch it on repeat, and then are like, wow, what's a red panda? Let's find out, let's look into this. Oh, what's this cool podcast, Raw Safari? Wow, amazing. Oh, hey, what's Red Panda Network? Oh, we should save the red pandas. And then we'll save the red pandas, and it'll be awesome. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. 
Okay, so before we get to the animal holidays from the peppermint narwhal calendar, that's right, y'all, I made it home and got my calendar, so that's traveling with me, so we have that again. Yay! Man, if you didn't listen to zoos last week, you really don't know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Anyway, before we get to those dates, though, January 17th would have been Betty White's 100th birthday. And as such, a whole lot of people are encouraging you to pick your favorite zoo or animal charity. Could be a rescue, could be a rehab, could be a conservation org, whatever. And donate even just $5 in Betty White's name. Now, I'm sure you've all listened to the bonus episode saying goodbye to Betty and sharing what she did for the conservation world. If you haven't, check it out yet. But uh, I think this is something that Betty White would have loved. So on the 17th, give $5 or more in Betty White's name to an animal charity of your choice. I highly recommend doing this. This is awesome. What a great way to remember Betty White and her love of animals. Okay, so as far as your weekly holidays, we yet again don't have many. It seems to take a while for these to ramp up at the beginning of the year. Uh, But I will tell you that on Sunday the 16th, it is Appreciate a Dragon Day. I personally recommend appreciating the Weedy Sea Dragon because they are awesome and really cool looking. And then on Thursday the 20th, it is Penguin Awareness Day. So uh, become aware of penguins that day, y'all. Seriously, though, a lot of penguins need our help. And I know that you know that. And I know that you have listened to Katie Prop and I talk about this a lot. But uh, don't forget to be aware of penguins on that and every day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it. Zoo News for the week is done. Except for all the stuff I say now. First of all, I want to say thank you to my Red Panda Level patron, Lara Shank. And remember, you can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash Safari. I'd also like to say thank you to the following people who contributed stories this week. Jacob Newman, Dylan Hoy, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kristen Khalil, Lexi Kidder, and Liz Dunlevy. And hey, Y'all, remember, I might not have gotten all of your stories, but I save them. Sometimes I have heavier weeks and sometimes I have lighter weeks and go back and hit some of the older ones. So uh, everything you send, whether it makes it on here or not, I truly appreciate and uh, really love that you're doing that for me. Thank you all. And to everyone else listening, don't forget, you can also get my heartfelt thanks by uh, contributing yourself. Send me cool stories, y'all. You know how to do it. And if you forget, just go back and listen to the beginning of this podcast again. All right, that's enough of me yapping. Remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yiswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.